You're listening to our weekly podcast devotional on the book of Ephesians. We've been taking the past few weeks to uh, learn about some of the major themes of Ephesians, and hopefully this can be a tool for you to get the Bible into your day to uh, hopefully gain some insight and learn how you can open up the Bible yourself and hopefully with this help really begin to grasp the meaning of this powerful letter. And we've been looking at Ephesians uh, chapter by chapter, roughly, uh, or really we're breaking down the chapters into little sections. And what we've seen so far is that the book of Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus and also meant to be cycled around to many of the churches uh, in that area, is that one of the main themes is all the blessings that we have in Christ because of the goodness of God. And we see that in chapter 1 when Paul blesses God for redeeming us by the blood of Christ for predestining us to be holy and blameless before him, for in love adopting us as his children, and for promising us an inheritance that we will be resurrected and that we will live life with God forever in his kingdom uh, when he recreates all things. And that ultimately in Jesus Christ, God is reconciling all things back to himself. That's the good news that we find in Jesus Christ. And that news is something that we can continue to grow in, that we can grow with others to recognize the glory and the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And this is amazing in light of how sinful we were before we met Christ, that we were walking according to our sinful flesh. The flesh is the idea of of our love for sin, that we love to follow uh, the schemes of Satan. We love to follow all the ideas and values of the world instead of God. But God being rich in his mercy because of his love has made us alive. We were once dead in our sins, meaning we had no spiritual life. We were disconnected from God. And now because of God's graciousness in Jesus Christ, he has reconciled us back to himself and given us a new life with new desires and new works to do by his salvation. And this is all by grace. And all we need to do is open up our hands and receive this gift that's free. It's not based on anything that we do. It's God's pure kindness to sinners. And this isn't just reconciliation from uh, us to God, but it's also between people groups. So Jews and Gentiles, the two major people groups that the Bible talks about, were once separated. Jews were separated off from the rest of the world because of their dietary laws, because of their cleanliness laws, because of uh, circumcision and the way that they kept the Sabbath. But Jesus Christ has fulfilled those things. So that dividing wall, that cultural ethnic barrier is no longer there, which means both Jews and Gentiles by faith are united to Jesus Christ and are now part of God's people. And Gentiles who were once cut off from all of God's promises to Israel are now brought into this new Israel called the church. And the church is this new humanity that God is creating from Jew and Gentile united in Christ, bound together by the Holy Spirit. And this is the mystery that Jesus Christ proclaims through the Apostle Paul. Paul's mission is to tell the Gentiles, you can be a part of God's family that you are no longer separated, that by faith, God can now be your father. And this is something that was foretold in the Old Testament, but hasn't been brought to full light until the New Testament, until Jesus Christ showed the fullness of God's plan. 
And the wisdom of God is shown in that he is uniting sinners to himself and sinners to one another in the work of Jesus Christ. And this is the message that propels Paul to plant churches across cultures to the nations because we ourselves are God's temple, the place where God dwells, not just as individuals, but really as the church. Jews and Gentiles now form in their community as the church, the new place where God is present. And that brings us to chapter four. So we've been focusing a lot about how God unifies people. And we're going to continue that theme in chapter four. We're going to look at just the first 16 verses. And and here are a couple themes I want you to keep in mind as I read these verses. I want you to keep in mind this big idea that in the church, we have God's power to create unity and also God's power to express himself in diversity. There's a unity in the church and a diversity. There's one body but many gifts. We are united as one people, but we all have different functions and different empowerments by the Spirit of God. And the purpose is that we might serve each other with these gifts. So our diversity serves the unity, and our unity is what is the foundation for our diversity. And I want you to keep that in mind as we read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I want you to stop here. Notice there's a key word that keeps popping up. That's the idea of one. Again, unity is the foundation of the church. And notice Paul appeals to them as a prisoner for the Lord. Once again, he uses that that mindset of my work is for the Lord. Even though I'm in prison, God is sovereign over this Roman prison cell, over the Roman government, over all the kings of the world. So as the prisoner of the Lord, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, that's very interesting. We often sit and think about, you know, what's my calling in life? You know, what am I called to? And oftentimes what we mean by that is what job or what place should I go? But here Paul says your calling is not really a place or a job or a vocation. It's a type of person. That the calling that God has called you to be is to be somebody who reflects the character of Christ. To walk as you have been called. If you want to think about it this way, notice that he says, I'm calling you to be what God has already called you to be. You think about when people get married. You know, a, a, a man and a woman are called husband and wife the moment they take their vows. But after that, they're going to be called to be what they've been already called. A wife is going to be called to act like a wife. She is already called a wife, and now she's meant to live out what she has already been called. And in the same respect, we've been called God's people. We've been called holy and blameless, and now we're supposed to live that out. We're supposed to live out what we've been called. And, and, the, and the primary thing that we've been called to do is, is to be people marked by humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. I want you to think about that. These are virtues that manifest in a Christian's life. Humility, 
right? Not counting yourself as better than others. Gentleness, right? Not being wrathful towards people, but being understanding, compassionate, patient, absorbing the sins that people put against you and being patient with the, with the flaws and weaknesses of others and bearing with one another. Right? Bearing with the disagreements and the arguments and the tensions that come with life in a church. Paul gets real practical. And these character virtues, they're not really celebrated in our world so much. Right? This, these seem kind of foolish and weak, but that's exactly the point. That we're supposed to be countercultural in the way we live. That's our calling, to not look like the world and to look like Christ. And we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit that binds us together in peace. That the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us. That our unity is something that we don't create. It's something that's been created by God himself who has united us by his Holy Spirit. And that's why there's one body, one church. Right? We're, we're part of one family. We're united by one Spirit. We have one hope, one Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if you look at these, these are actually divided by the Trinity. Right? The Holy Spirit makes one body, and he is the, the, uh, the guarantee of our final hope. Uh, one Lord, that's Jesus Christ, who is the object and the, and the example of our faith, our one faith, who is also, uh, whose death and resurrection is represented in our one baptism. And then God the Father is here, one God and Father of all who is over and through and in all, right? He's the creator of all things. He is the Lord of all people. And I, I take that from Alistair Roberts, who has a great devotional series you can search on YouTube. And, and he brings that up, that there's a Trinitarian element to this. So God himself is the source of our unity. Now, notice in verse 7, he's going to talk, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about the diversity of the church as well. He says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a couple parts to this. First, we see that Christ gives a gift to each person in the church. Also, those gifts can be not just empowerings, but also people, ministers, and that these ministers are meant to equip the saints to do ministry so that the church builds itself up in love and becomes mature, that it reflects the character of Christ. I want to break this down a little bit. Paul begins with a citation of Psalm 68. And it's interesting what he does. Now, now remember, the point Paul's making is there are multiple gifts in the body apportioned according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Christ is the one who gives these gifts and dispenses them to his people. Everyone has a gift, and they're all from Christ. And 
Paul does something interesting. Psalm 68 is a psalm about the messianic king, a king from David's line, ascending a hill in victory. And he's coming to uh, back to the city with his troops and a bunch of captives of, of prisoners of war. And all people are giving gifts to him. Now, this imagery of giving gifts, we find in Acts 2.33. The apostle Peter talks about this, that that a person who receives gifts is a king. That, that's a sign of enthronement. So Jesus Christ is this king who's enthroned by receiving gifts. But notice, Paul changes the psalm. In the original psalm, it's that these gifts are given to this king. But here in Ephesians 4, it says that Christ gave gifts to men. He leads a host of captives. He conquers by his resurrection. And he doesn't just receive gifts but he takes what he receives and he redistributes them to his church. Isn't that an amazing thing, right? That Jesus Christ ascends into heaven and the, the fact that he ascended means that he also descended. It's talking about the death of Christ. And we often forget about the ascension of Christ, that after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus ascended into heaven, into the seat of ultimate power. And during his ascent, he gave gifts to his church so they could carry out his work on earth. God empowers his people to be ambassadors for Christ. And notice the gifts aren't just gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, gifts of administration, leadership, uh, teaching, all these things. The gifts are actually people. The gifts are actually ministers. Listen to what he says. He gives apostles, that's the 12 apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, there's debate about whether the apostles and the prophets are a continuing office, uh, but we can for sure know that there, are, there continue to be evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and these shepherd teachers are pastors, right? So, so your pastor is actually a gift by Jesus Christ to you. He's a gift of grace himself, that he's a vessel through which the word of God comes through. So the word of God is how Jesus Christ rules his church. But he rules his church through the word of God through appointed men called pastor teachers, shepherds. And notice the goal. What is a pastor supposed to do? He's supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, the pastor isn't the one only doing ministry, but he's actually ministering to you so that you too can do ministry in whatever spheres of life you're in, that you too can be part of God's purposes. So we are all, in some sense, called to ministry. And what happens when a pastor faithfully feeds his flock the word and they faithfully minister one another? Paul says it builds up the body of Christ. It creates unity. It increases our knowledge of Jesus Christ and it matures us to manhood so that we look like the fullness of Christ. In other words, the word comes through faithful pastors, goes to faithful people who faithfully serve each other, which creates and builds up the church by creating unity, more knowledge of God, and bringing the church to maturity. And the goal is that we look like a church that looks like Jesus, right? And he, he shows that's the positive vision, but he says there's also something we're trying to avoid. We're not just trying to be mature in Christ, but we're trying to avoid being immature in Christ. And he says, we don't want to be children tossed to and fro by waves. It's this idea of a, of a ship being tossed by the waves in the sea. And that's, that's the, the idea of, of all these false ideas, all these popular ideas in culture, all these false teachers, every single new book and hip fad, you know, buffeting the sides of our boat. 
Paul says, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be stable and secure in the truth. And that comes when the church is united under the word of God, under faithful pastor teachers, and under and in a community of people who are serving one another according to the truth. That there are cunning, deceitful, crafty schemes coming at us from every side, and we need to be discerning. We need to understand the truth about God. And that's the, the purpose of the church, to preserve the truth. And so what do we do? Instead of being uh, not unified and falling for lies, what do we do? Verse 15, we speak the truth in love, right? We tell the truth, but we do it with a heart of love that, that means that we don't coddle people, but we look at people and go, I want the best for you. I want God's best for you. And so I'm going to say some hard things because it's not about me and my ego, it's about you and you becoming everything that God has called you to be, that you might walk worthily according to the calling which you've been called. And I love this process. When people speak the truth in love to each other, right? The body grows up into the head, into Christ. So Christ is the head of the body. The head is what directs the body. So we grow up into Christ and Christ is the source that makes the whole body, which is held together by every joint, where the joints, where the different parts of the bodies were connected to each other. When all the body parts are equipped, taught the word of God, growing in their faith and serving one another, the whole body starts to work properly. It's healthy. And when a body is healthy, when all the parts are healthy, the body grows, right? That's the whole idea that Jesus Christ grows the body by feeding it his word, through pastors, the body parts are connected and serving each other, growing in love, speaking the truth in love, and the end result, the byproduct, is a healthy church that's marked by love. Love is what builds up the church, and love is what expresses the love of Christ, not just to individuals, but love of Christ to us as a people. So there are so many rich themes, but the big thing I want you to take away from this is that God has created the church. This is his idea. And it's in the church that we are discipled to be what God has called us to be. And it's in the church, the church's baptism, the church uh, forged by the spirit of God, the church that is confessing one faith and one Lord, the church that has diversity of gifts, the church that has given us pastors, pastor teachers and, and, and evangelists and shepherds. That church, that's ground zero of God's activity. So if you want to know your calling, be a part of your local church. Love your local church. Love your pastors and go there and find people to serve and encourage and help build the unity of the body, to build the knowledge of the Son of God, to build maturity in the church so that we can be a healthy church built upon a foundation of Christ, equipped to do ministry and to be healthy with a church that loves one another. That's the goal and that's the vision. Thanks for listening to this. Share with a friend, leave a review for our podcast, and we're going to see you next week.